Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. you have a Bible close by, or if you have the app open, you can turn to Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. So the scripture reading again is from Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree, have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Hey, thanks, Bruce. I want to start by asking you a question. Have any of you ever done the right thing, but for the wrong reason or the wrong motivation behind it? Any of you ever done that? Ostensibly, at least on the outside, it looks like what you're doing is a good thing, and it is. Yet it's the motive behind uh, the action. And there are times in which uh, we can fool people, can't we? But we can't fool ourselves for very long, and certainly uh, we can't fool God. Uh, I remember after I left my initial career and went back to school uh, in order to go to seminary and and study, um, Lori became the major breadwinner in the home. 
And it was during that time that I was in school. I was also doing part-time work as a junior high director at a church and doing custodial work, all kinds of little things to try to contribute. Um, But Lori was the breadwinner. And I tried to pick up slack wherever I could. My schedule was a little bit more flexible than hers. And so uh, I'd come home from school or I'd have time in the afternoon or whenever I had a spare moment, I would do the laundry. Uh, And in those days, we didn't have a a, a washer or dryer at home, had to go to the laundromat. And I remember one time I was folding the clothes up really neatly on, on the table and a guy came up to me and he looked at me and he said, man, you really do that well. And I kind of said, well, thank you. And then he followed up by saying, if you were a woman, I'd want to marry you. All right. Or I'd come home uh, and I'd uh, cook. uh, Kind of the only thing I knew how to cook uh, was like a tuna casserole or something really easy. And then Lori would come home and and, uh, from work and it'd be ready. And she'd thank me and let me know how much she appreciated it. Or I'd clean the house, or I'd do whatever I could do to try to contribute. And one day, uh, Lori came to me and she said, you know, honey, I just want to thank you so much. Um, Just the ways that you express your love to me. Um, I just want you to know I notice and um, that it really matters. And I wanted to be able to say, oh, honey, I just love you, and I'm so glad I can do this for you. And, but the Holy Spirit brought a conviction on my heart. It was like a, I mean, it was like a 100-pound weight. And in that moment, I realized something. Although on the outside it looked like I was doing the right things, I was doing them for the wrong reasons. The truth is, I wasn't doing it because I loved Lori, although I loved Lori, but I was doing it to feel better about myself. And it was really my love for myself, uh, my desire to feel good about who I was, because I felt deficient as a breadwinner. And even though I was going to school, and even though I had a part-time job here and a part-time job there doing the best I could, I felt somehow that I was lacking. And so what I was doing, in all honesty, um, was about me and not her. And I remember that was a really hard moment when God brought that. And I had to confess to her that. I remember doing that. Um, But it's one of those moments in your life that was a real heart check, a gut check. And uh, the Lord... Um, through the Holy Spirit was essentially saying, Todd, you're doing all the right things, but you're doing them for the wrong reason. And you may have fooled her, but you haven't fooled me. And that really is um, the central aspect of our message this morning. uh, As we look in Haggai uh, chapter 2, and we begin to look at the second part of the chapter. Um, It's really about um, a momentous occasion uh, in, in the life of, of these exiled people who now uh, are back in Jerusalem. And they have 
once again begun work uh, on the temple. And the foundation now has been laid. It's about two months. Uh, our last, uh, the last time Haggai spoke to the people it was in October during the Feast of Tabernacles. You might remember that. And now it's about two months later. Uh, the work has progressed. And, and now there's a celebration of a new beginning. Whenever a foundation is laid, uh, people gather together. Uh, and in ancient times, as it is in our times, uh, they celebrate a, a new beginning. But when you celebrate a new beginning, it's, it's time to pause and kind of look back at what was. Right? Now, every time I tell the story that I told you this morning about um, the conviction the Holy Spirit brought upon me, uh, and I think about that, that really um, was a new beginning for me. Uh, it was a time in which since I can look back and say from that time forward, uh, I am more aware of my motivations for doing things, even the right things, than I was before that moment. Okay? And here now, this is December uh, of that same year, 520 uh, B.C., two months after the last message that the prophet had given to the people. And they've made progress. They restarted their work. They've made progress. And now there's going to be a, a celebration. In fact, the Lord alludes to it through the prophet in, in this passage about this foundation. And it is a time to celebrate. It's a time to look forward. But the Lord wants to um, admonish the people, in a sense, to remind them that what life was like when their hearts weren't right with him and to keep their hearts right with him. Because you remember just a couple of months earlier when they had begun the work and then it had stopped, there were people there that were inside, they were grumbling and they were complaining that the, the new temple wasn't going to look anything like or, or really approach the, the beauty and the majesty of the former, right, Solomon's. And so there are some people that just lost heart and they wanted to give up. And, and, and that attitude was contagious. And just like it had been back in the beginning when they had returned from exile. And they had started work. And then in a very short time stopped it. And, and their priorities changed from the Lord's priorities to their own. And, and they began building their own houses. And some of them, they were fixing them up. They were pretty ornate. And they were using resources that were intended to be used to build the temple. And you remember all the way back in chapter 1 of Haggai, when the, when the Lord, after uh, years and years and years of, of drought, when the crops and the harvest were well below what had been expected, and, and the people were, were suffering, and they were fearful, and they were... That's when the prophet came. And the Lord asked this question, How come you're fixing up your houses, you're paneling your houses while my house stays in ill repair. Don't you know that, that all that's happening is because of that? Get your hearts right so that I can bless you. I want to bless you. Um, but until you get your heart right, I'm going I'm to discipline you because I want you to turn your heart towards me. And, uh, of course, the end of chapter 1, they do that, and they start the building. Building starts. A month later, they stop. That was last week. And now, 
It's two months later, which, by the way, um, about this time, even a month earlier, is when uh, Zechariah begins to give his prophecies. And he's, he is giving prophecy to the same people. So you have these two prophets that are speaking to him at the same time. And he's saying to them, this is a new beginning, but don't forget where you've been. I'm going to bless you, but don't forget. To understand really what the Lord's getting at, you have to turn all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. It's a prayer. It's a prayer that the people of Israel were taught. It was central to their worship and their understanding of who they were in relationship to God. As the nation began, it is a prayer that is still central uh, in Judaism. It's called the Shema. Let me read it for you, okay? Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now catch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as sandals, or excuse me, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay? So what is central to the prayer? Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so now, as we look in our chapter in Haggai, beginning in in verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord is reminding them of this. The Lord is saying, a new foundation has been laid upon which you will worship me. But I want you to worship differently than you did when you first came out of exile. Those, those years when you started work on the temple and then you abandoned it because your priorities were out of alignment with mine and you began to focus on yourselves. And during that time, when my house was in ruins, you had built an altar and you were coming and you were making sacrifice to me. But that sacrifice was unacceptable. And the reason the sacrifice was unacceptable is because you were going through the motions. You were doing the right thing, but your motive behind it was wrong. You were lovers of yourself rather than lovers of of me. And, and this is how he reminds some of this. As you look, he begins by having um, the priests answer 
a couple of questions. They're about the ceremonial law. Okay? And the priests were the experts in things dealing with ceremonial law. And the first question goes along these lines. If, if something is uh, holy and it touches something secondarily, but that thing touches something that's the third thing down the line, is that third thing holy? And of course, they went back into the law. They looked into Leviticus and, and their answer was No. No, it's not. It had to deal with the transference of, of, of holiness. And then he goes and he talks about another situation where a person comes in contact with something that's dead or a dead body and then they touch someone or something else. Is that thing defiled? And the answer is, well, of course, yes. And so the point that the prophet is trying to make, or the Lord is through the prophet, is listen. Holiness is not easily transferred, but defilement is. In other words, sin is contagious, but righteousness isn't. It isn't. That's why you really have to guard your hearts. It's why you have to really examine yourselves. And by the way, remember when it was so contagious that you were all offering sacrifice, but for the wrong reason, your hearts weren't right. And so it wasn't acceptable to me. And, and so now as you're, 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 you're rebuilding this and the foundation has been laid, I, I want you to remember that it was during those times when you went and and, and your harvest didn't yield what you thought it was going to be. And even though all that was going on for all those years, you still didn't turn to me. That's what he says to them in these verses. It, it took the prophet, me sending the prophet to you, before you'd listen. And he helped you make sense out of what was going on. Because your hearts weren't in tune with my heart. You weren't loving me with all your heart. Your soul, your mind, your strength, right? The Shema. You weren't doing that. But now you've laid a foundation. He says, is there, is there any seed left in the barn? And of course, this would have been in December. And the time of sowing the seed would have been over. The, the barns would have been empty. Everything would have been sown. And now they're in waiting. Now they're waiting to see, all right, is this going to be a different year than it's been in the past these last several years when we've gone through drought and the crops and the harvest and the yield has, has been 40% or 50% of what we thought it was going to be. And the Lord said, there's a new foundation. And from this day forward, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to yield the harvest that you desire. But remember, I'm the one. I'm the one who's blessing you. You see that? I mean, that's really the, the focus on these, on these verses. Now, if you were to look at Jesus' teaching, uh, let's put up on the screen Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, 
but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. In other words, the Lord's going to supply everything else you need, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, here's the deal. Chapter 1 of Haggai was about seeking first the kingdom. It's about reminding the people they needed to realign their priorities with the priorities of the kingdom, with God's priorities. There needed to be a realignment. Okay? Because they had gone astray in regards to his priorities. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 19 that we just read, they have to do with the second part of this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so what the Lord is talking about here is he says, you know what, holiness is not easily transmitted, but defilement is, sin is contagious, but righteousness isn't, right? You just can't pick it up casually. You have to seek after it. It has to be a priority in your heart and your life. And that righteousness begins with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength so that you're just not going through the motions because you can fool everybody else, God says, but you can't fool me. Right? You can't fool me. You can do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. But this is a new beginning. From this point on, let's do things differently. Check this out. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. Again, I mean, there's the application here. And Haggai, and, and, and even into today, says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. All right? So, Haggai chapter 1. Priorities. Building. Right? Rebuilding the temple. Clean hands. Clean hands have to do with right priority. But, the second part is, and a pure heart. That is seeking righteousness. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's a pure heart. Do you see that? And so we see this in the teachings. All through scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. But then we see Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. Sam, there you go. By the way, Sam's dressed in his scouting uniform because today is Scouting Sunday. And Sam is an Eagle Scout. Congratulations. Yeah. There you go. All right, look at Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all all things and beyond all cure. Remember the story I shared with Lori? My doing things, but for the wrong reason. You know why? Because my heart was deceitful. And it took the conviction of the Lord to make a correction in my heart. But he does that if we pay attention to the Spirit. Because in the end, all that's going to matter is what I call the heart effects of our lives. That's all that's left. And, and what do those heart effects give testimony to? 
What does it say about us? In our relationship with the Lord. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what deeds they deserve. Now, in the Old Testament, there was what was called the law of retribution. It was this. If you do something sinful, the Lord's going to discipline you. But if you do something out of a pure heart, that's the right thing that he's going to bless you. That's the Old Testament. Now, I'm grateful for the New Testament. I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that he cleanses me and that the Lord sees me through the righteousness of his son. That Jesus became sin, that I become the righteousness of God in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin, right? That we might share in his righteousness. But this Old Testament here, and we read here in Jeremiah, what it says is, I know your heart. I examine things. And that's essentially what he was saying here in Haggai 2, 10 through 19 to the people. I know your heart. Make sure your heart's right. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't do the right things for the wrong reasons. You get a new foundation, a new beginning. Well, Matthew. Do you have the Matthew verse up? It's the next verse. There it is. 23 through 27. Jesus addresses this with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You know what they used to do? They used to whitewash the tombs where people were buried so that during festival times when people came from outside Jerusalem in, that they wouldn't defile themselves by touching a place where a person had been buried. Right? And so it was like a sign that on the outside it was whitewashed, it was clean, so people could see it, but in the inside it contained what? bones and, and the remains of someone who was dead. And so he says, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. No no matter, I mean, excuse me, It's uh, you think about the reason they, they had a problem with Jesus. Because he kind of told it like it is. You present on the outside as one thing, but on the inside, you're dead. Okay? Psalm 139, 23 through uh, 24. I love this. This is David. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay? It's not a bad prayer to begin our day with or end it. Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If there's any offensive way in me, lead me into the way everlasting. All right? Search my heart, Lord. I want to do the right things for the right reason. I want to love you 
with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, with everything in me. I don't want to go through the motions. And then finally, Paul writes about this, and it's, it's interesting. We talk about foundation. And Paul, in this passage, is alluding to Solomon's temple, which, of course, these folks are working to rebuild. But Paul is writing about something called the, the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. And in the Roman world, the, the judge of the authority would sit on this seat and would pronounce judgment over someone. Right? It was a seat of authority. And, and he uses this as a metaphor. He says, you know, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. And he talks about it in terms of laying a foundation for something called the church. And he begins by saying, I'm laying a foundation, but if anyone lay a foundation other than with the gospel that I've preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, then that's not the right foundation. The foundation is Christ and Christ crucified and the good news of who He is and what He did for us. You can't build a foundation for the church, His body, His temple, right? Anything other than that. And then He goes on to say this. He says, next one in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. Okay? When Solomon's temple was built, you know what was used? This is, he's referring to that. Gold, silver, and costly stones. They would have thought about, oh yeah, he's referring to the temple, Solomon's temple. The very best was used. The people spared nothing. And it reflected a, a hard attitude of the builder Solomon and the people at that time, right? They were giving their best. Or wood, hay, or straw. And, and there were people that would bring less than the best and offer it for building something. But what Paul says is that it'll be shown for what it is. Because the day, speaking of the, the day of the Lord, the, the, you know, the day when the Lord sits and, and, and there's this judgment under reward. Okay, based on what we've done, we'll bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire. It's like the judgment, the conviction of the Lord over what, how we've lived and what we've offered and, and what we've done. The right things for the right reason because we love Him. Right? That, that's the basis on which we're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Okay? So this is foundation language again. So what does it mean for you and for me? Is that we learn the lessons that the prophet Haggai is, is teaching the people of the Lord through him. That what we do and what we offer and what we give, we want to be not only the right thing, but we want it for the right reasons. We want to reflect our heart attitude towards God that we love Him. It goes all the way back to the Shema. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Everything starts and ends with that. And let everything you do, let everything you do 
come from that love for Him. Because in the end, in the end, Christian, when we stand before our Lord and, and, and He sees us and, 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 and all that we've done as we've lived in loving Him, not works that save us, but works as a result of our love for Him, of His grace in our life that reflect that grace, that we might hear these words, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. What you did and how you lived, your heart of facts, all that's left, right? Mattered and made a difference for eternity. Now, the rest of the book, there's just a few pages or a few verses left, verses 20 and following. This is what happens. The prophet, the Lord speaks through the prophet to Zerubbabel and says, the line of David, which was interfered with and broken through the exile, is being reestablished through you. And you're going to be the signet ring. And I'm going to fulfill my promise that through David's line, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's that messianic promise. Right? And then the book ends. And then the book of Zechariah, the prophet, continues. And that book, really the focus of that is towards the eternal reign of the Messiah on the throne of David and God's fulfillment to the people of that promise. Okay? Letter of blessing and of hope. So you read that after you finish up Haggai. Okay?